Travia, I heard the vaccine turns your skin purple. What do you mean? That's completely and totally false. Well, that's what this article from purefiction.com said, but the article is in Turkish. Uh, well, either way, you must have been lost in translation. I think you mean lost in vaccination. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Travia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Travia and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hold On To Your Racket podcast. Today, we're recording episode 52, and it is March 31st. I mean, Shravi and I have had quite the week since we are both on spring break, and we got the chance to hang out, which happens, but we only hang out on the tennis court or on Zoom for the podcast, so it's really nice to just let loose, you know? Yeah, it was much needed, uh, a, a very refreshing day i would say uh we posted a picture from it on our twitter account we had a lot of fun um we talked about things hotter related and non-hotter related we actually started um brainstorming some idea fantasizing about a potential recording studio we could have a few years into the future you know wallpaper rugs uh lemon infused water dispensers all of it um (laughs) but actually another funny thing was we went to little italy right um and we you know took a few pictures i posted them on my instagram and we were trying to come up with funny instagram captions and since we knew we would be going to little italy um we had made this plan a few weeks ago during the week of the acapulco tournament um and we kept making fun of lorenzo musetti sort of falling on his back every time he won um we, you know, Josefina came up with the Instagram caption. She was like, Shravia, when you post your pictures from the day that we go to Little Italy, you should caption it. Um, uh, you should caption it. I stood Lorenzo up for a date with Josefina instead, swiped to see his reaction. And when you would swipe, the last photo on the carousel was a picture of Musetti with, like, on the floor right after his win versus Diego. But... Obviously, it was a happy moment for him, but in the picture, he looks really sad. So that was sort of the funny part of the caption and the pun, and it fit well because it was a little Italy trip. So and it was uh, tennis related. So yeah, tennis can't get get away from us that easily. <laughs> Speaking of which, neither can drama on the ATP side. I mean, we have some more PTPA drama. We've been on about this since what happened in August, and then. Co- dead silent radio silence for what like eight months until now when pospisil had an vashik pospisil had an outburst on tour and who knew the ptpa would ever be relevant again until now yeah who knew the ptpa would ever be relevant again i remember tweeting a few days ago um it's I, it was some sort of something like i can't believe when we started the podcast that ptpa used to be relevant and literally four days later or maybe even less this possible incident happens 
Um, so let's talk about it. So during his first round match at the Miami Open, he was getting really mad. Uh, he got several racket abuse and verbal abuse violations, and it's because he started he started lashing out the chair umpire. He's just he he just lost his temper. Um, he said an hour and a half yesterday. Uh, yesterday, the chair of the ATP effing screaming at me in a player meeting for trying to unite the players. Get him out of here effing or or get him out here effing asshole why am i supporting this effing tour you want to default me i'll gladly sue this whole organization so first of all i feel bad for the chair empire second of all let's unpack what this outburst was about because Vashik pospisil is known to be a pretty chill well-liked guy on tour i believe drinking maple syrup what happened oh yeah exactly what happened here so let's get into that a little bit um because you know, the words default and PTPA leaders have already mingled once before at the U.S. Open. Yeah. And, you know, this this was definitely an interesting outburst. But, yeah, let's let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he said that there was a whole meeting of that they were trying to unite the players and then that he got actually in trouble with the CEO or the chair, the leader, the president of the ATP. So obviously he was upset about that. And that stress carried on to the court where it eventually boiled over into this outburst. So definitely a stressful situation for him. But also um, quite interesting because like we've seen with the PTPA becoming popular again, and we've been seeing it more and more in the media, in the tennis media, that like it was supposed to be a player organization meant to kind of not unionize the players but give them some representation on the tour and he's obviously really adamant about this but it's kind of fallen through until now as of this outburst yeah the whole union thing like we're kind of confused about it we haven't read enough into it it's kind of i remember when we were talking about it the legal boundaries of a union were kind of unclear as to like what pospisil's lawyer the lawyers who were talk he was talking to said something about how like they couldn't fully form a union you know legally that wouldn't really work within the tennis world i'm not totally sure but it's kind of a similar idea to a union but the thing that the reason we're so unsure about it is because the ptpa itself whatever the ptpa is hasn't really laid out any specific you know they don't have a website they don't have you know some mission statement data it's very unclear about what their path forward is which we're going to talk about in a little bit but um, that's why it's it's kind of on the border of a union. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. All very cloudy, I would say. Yeah, we tried to figure it out in one of our first episodes when this like first became a thing. And even then, the definitions of the boundaries of this organization thing were not clear whatsoever, and they're still not. And that's what we think to be the problem. So definitely a lot of players that actually came out and spoke in support of this um, including Novak Djokovic, Tennis Sandgren, John Isner, Rajiv Ram, Milos Raonic, Ryan Harrison, Ivo Karlovic, and Steve Johnson. They've all tweeted in support of Vashik, and he actually reposted them on his story, kind of showing that, see, I have people behind me. Um, and then also they started using the PTPA kind of hashtag. They're trying to make it trend, hashtag player's voice. Yeah, it was very weird. This this kind of happened like the day after the Pospisil incident because that was what everyone was talking about then. But the tweets that they sent 
like with the hashtag players voice were weirdly cryptic like they all said that they supported him and that you know change is needed within the atp and etc etc but they're also vague like i don't know what they mean like it's clear that you know there's tension within the play like even i believe shop evolved said something that like yeah there's definitely like i'm on Vashik's side or like maybe not as explicit but he said something about the situation too hinting that there was you know a lot of dis uh discontent with the atp uh, organization uh, on behalf of the players but you know it, it they all tweeted this stuff in support of him and that you know they need change but that's pretty much all they say it's not very clear what else they're asking for because as we mentioned the ptpa whatever the organization is hasn't you know published any sort of framework for what it's standing for which I think if they did that, it would make it more clear. And only one WTA player, Tara Moore, she's a British player, number 208 in the singles rankings, um, tweeted in support of Vashek or with the hashtag, you know, whatever you want to make of that. But basically, our main takeaways from this whole situation was that clearly there are a bunch of players who have issues with the ATP leadership and they want their voices to be heard more. It's totally understandable. I would say that during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of different stuff about how they've reallocated prize money or how they've tried to give um, a leg up to those lower ranked players to make sure that they are able to make a living. So it is understandable that, you know, players are feeling um you know definitely heightened tensions during these times as well with the leadership but at the same time to kind of have the ringleader of this group like Vashik Pospisil behaving in this way on court does absolutely nothing to help the credibility of the PTPA and it does absolutely everything to do just the opposite like I get that he's emotional about this issue but if you're gonna be the face of leading that organization or in that or movement so to speak it's not a good look to you know be behaving like that and then a day later come out with these weird hashtaggy tweets it's a very weird it's they definitely have a lack of clear messaging and then also one thing to note in the past few weeks a lot of these pro ptpa players including Djokovic himself we saw this in the australian open and then john isner have spoken out in fr- with frustration about the ATP tour and how they've been leading stuff. And oftentimes that's been in conjunction with the tour's COVID protocol and them taking issue with that. And also considering the types of players who tweeted in support of the PTPA, like, you know, Ryan Harrison, Tennis Sandgren, John Isner, these are all guys who have said or, um, you know, commented about tennis COVID guidelines in a negative light before it's if if this is going to be something that's driving their uh support for the ptpa that also is kind of like not helping their image whatsoever yeah and then we're still completely confused as to what the ptpa actually is like we were saying before yeah and because- I, I think it's not just us it's a lot of tennis fans we're all we when we say we we mean i think most tennis fans yeah, and then also there's a the whole thing that you were saying about them being so vague. Like, what is wrong with the ATP? I know somebody, I completely forgot who spoke out about it, but there was something about how players were underrepresented when it came to tournaments and things like that. And, of course, in this time, like as in COVID times, um, the organizations that put these tournaments together are put under so much pressure because not only do they have to deal with the players now they have to deal with quarantine they have to deal with 
the bubble and keeping making sure the players are following all these new protocols. So I think it's really just a result of the pressure and the players feel like they're being ignored when it comes to things like like just regular things on the tour that we need to happen now that we're in a time of the pandemic. Yeah, they've also mentioned the PTPA members that, you know, they think that the tour sides too often with sort of like the tournaments or with the higher ups in terms of making decisions and not really acknowledging the players as much. But again, still very vague. The PTPA is really pretty much giving us nothing at this point. I mean, there's a lot more that needs to be unearthed for us to understand what's happening for, you know, tennis fans to really get a grasp of what's going on. I think at the moment what I've noticed is just that like, oh yeah, if your favorite player is like leading the PTPA or like part of it, like you're going to be in support of it. Like I've seen Djokovic fans just like go in full defense mode of the PTPA. I quite honestly, my personal take on it is I think that Pospisil's actions on court were pretty bad. He came out, he apologized for it. I, 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 I think it wasn't like what happened on court shouldn't have happened. But I also think that there's clearly something there that he cares about and something that a lot of ATP players have some tensions about, but not all of them. So there's clearly something happening. I don't I don't get what it is. We need more of a clear messaging uh, initiative from the PTPA to let people know what's going on because I think that's when it'll become more clear what they what their policy platform is but if you're interested in reading more into this i would suggest two different uh sort of articles or pieces on this one of them would be matthew willis's the racket newsletter from this week he did a good job of diving into that and then also john wertheim's sports illustrated column this week um goes into some of these uh, talking points surrounding the PTPA, what happened with Pospisil, what they need to do, and, you know, why they could have a credible issue to stand for, but what they need to kind of improve with their uh, publication, publicity uh, messaging. Yeah, and then next up we have a little more controversy slash drama surrounding vaccination, actually, COVID vaccination. So obviously recently vaccination has become more and more accessible to people around the world. So that's why it's becoming such a huge topic in the media or on people's minds, really. So Ben Rothenberg asked a bunch of players about getting vaccinated for COVID and their opinions, thoughts on it, whether they're feeling up to it or not. And starting off with Alina Svitolina, she said, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I know that there will be a possibility for me to get one in a couple of weeks, but yeah, I will think about that. But also, you know, the other side, ATP and WTA, they oblige you to quarantine anyway, like 24 hours as soon as you get it. Okay, you will reduce your symptoms if you get it, but still, there's a chance that you can get it. So definitely sort of an unclear statement. And kind of, she's trying to reason not I don't getting what the vaccine, saying. but yeah, it's literally doesn't. <laughs> there's no reasoning behind it. Yeah, it doesn't stop here. Unfortunately, we just want to. Before I go ahead with the next quote, we just want to say that the two of us are very like obviously pro vaccination. It's not something you should do just for yourself, but for the greater good of everyone around you. That's the only way we're really gonna get to the end of this thing. Um, but these tennis players, gosh, just that, if you thought that Svitolina quote was weird, just wait until you hear the next ones that we have for you. 
Andre Rublev, when asked this question, said, I mean, it depends. I know for the moment now, it doesn't really give you any privilege. You still have to be in the bubble. If you ask me if I can choose and I can have the option to not have the vaccine, I will not do it. Just by the feelings, because I have never had any vaccine since I was a kid, so I don't know. This is this is what I take issue with in his responses. He said, it doesn't really give you any privilege, you still have to be in the bubble. This is a trend that I'm seeing in a lot of these responses. They're only thinking about themselves, right? They're only thinking about like, okay, what impact is this going to have on me and me being in the bubble or not? You know, and it's not just Rublev who's saying stuff like this. There's a bunch of players who yeah. are having this, you know, ignorant perspective because you gotta understand. They don't understand that it's a it's a community health thing. It's not just them. It's not only about personal advantage, basically, and then also the fact that they don't realize that it also helps them. Like it's their safety that's on the line, and they could be helping themselves so much by being in support or even advocating with the fan bases that they have to other people about getting the vaccinations. So, and then next up, we have yet another one that's anti-vax, Arena Sabalanka, who said, I don't really trust it. For sure, I don't want my family to make it. If I will have to do it, I will really think twice before I make it. If you see her whole quote, she talks about something about genetic, like something about genetics and how the vaccine affects that. So much misinformation there. Really read these with a grain of salt. Do your own research. Read the, you know, actual authorities on this. But like her response was just ridiculous. Yeah, she was saying something about the inaccuracy of the two types. And then she said one makes you sick and the other has genetic yeah, she, stuff you can clearly you can clearly see that she's been fed or like fallen culprit to so much of the misinformation going around around these but i just think that also goes to show you how like these tennis players are clearly don't care enough to do any research on their own like yeah. it's not that hard it's really not that hard and then, unfortunately, we have Hubert Hercats, who said, I'm not planning to have a vaccine. I'm focused planning for the tournament, so there's no time to get it. So, like, he means the recovery period, which is, what, two days, one day and a half tops? I, this is, like, this is ridiculous. This is really ridiculous. I mean, I think that the WT and the ATP gotta realize that they really need to educate their players. Clearly, they're ignorant. Clearly, they don't want to do their own research. Not really a big surprise. Um, they clearly think that the vaccine is all about what it... They think that, like, oh, it's too risky for me. Or um, more so, it's like, oh, it's not really doing much of a benefit for me. I still have to be in the bubble, so why should I... Like, if it's not a ticket out of the bubble for me, why should I get the vaccine? That's some of the attitude that we're seeing, too. So they clearly don't care about the... Or know about the larger uh, impact it has on community health as well. So, yeah, the WT and ATP, I think, um, are not very happy about these kind of skeptic responses. We're gonna tell you about how they responded to this in a little bit, but I know Josefina and I, we were talking about this earlier. This is, in a way, similar to the effort that the Australian Open tried to make to explain to their players about the hard quarantine but then when they had that Zoom call, we had Artem Sitak saying that, like, hey, but no one showed up to this and they're all complaining. I was one of the few people who showed up. So 
And they laid everything out. He said Artemis Tsag was super vocal vocal about this, thankfully, and really gave us a perspective on what it was like to be a player that actually paid attention to the protocols when we had all these players complaining about the quarantine when they were warned about it. Like, don't sign up for the tournament if you're not going to participate in their protocols or support them. Yeah, um... So hopefully they make this vaccine education stuff a thing and make it mandatory. Um, the only other comment was that at Diego Schwartzman, at first, he said, I really don't love the vaccine, you know, never, never. It's not a tradition in my family to get any vaccine. But then, um, this was in his press conference, but then he clarified on Twitter, English is not my specialty. I am going to get vaccinated when my term comes but I would not get vaccinated before my family and people who really need it. My English probably wasn't clear. So a little bit weird because his response in the transcription was kind of totally different from what his response on Twitter was, but I props to him for going ahead and clarifying that. I'm going to choose to believe that it is what he said on his social media statement because that is definitely the more, uh, <laughs> that is definitely the response that I would like to see. <laughs> And unfortunately, there's only a handful of players I could count them on one hand that are clearly pro-vax. So we have Naomi Osaka, who said, I'm planning on getting one whenever I'm eligible, I guess. And then Ashley Barty, who said her family will do whatever they can to get the vaccine. So obviously, this is great to see. They're using their platform. They're really advocating how this could help everyone, not just themselves which is what the anti-vaxxers that we've read before seem to not realize yeah and these next three players have taken a step even further and they've really been vocal about you know whether it be on social media or just in the media in general about their uh sort of vaccination message so one of them being simona halep she said i wanted to get vaccinated i came with an open mind and i'm fine i was vaccinated with pfizer i'm fine i haven't had any side effects now it's for everyone's sake and that's why I decided to get vaccinated. And she actually p- posted a picture of her getting the shot on social media. So little things like that can really, they, they mean a lot. Like these people have big followings. You can see that the top players in the world have already fallen to so much disinformation or misinformation. So these these things are important. And luckily, she's not the only one who's taken a step like this. And then we have, you know, Shravi's favorite. You know, we can't go an episode without mentioning him in good light. And we have Matteo Berrettini, who has been leading by example, actually, on the vaccination front since January, before this even started being a huge thing. He joined the Vanity Fair Italy Vaccine Public Health Awareness Campaign, and ever since the ever since the vaccine was first being distributed in Europe. And he said recently, vaccine is the only way to live a normal life again. I am pro-vax. So he said it clearly. He was explicit about how he feels and we could not be happier. And then we have Dylan Alcott. Yeah, so he said, feel extremely lucky to receive my first dose of the COVID vaccine today as I fall on the 1B rollout due to my disability. Shout out to the frontline workers who have been busting their backside to keep us safe. Also, for all the anti-vaxxers I can actually now walk, do recommend. (laughs) So I like that he's taking that little funny jab at them. All right, so now that we've kind of given you the good side and the bad side, let's talk about what the ATP and WTA actually said. So the WTA said following all of this, 
The WTA believes in and will encourage everyone to get a vaccine. This will assist in protecting the individual that has received the vaccine, those who have not been vaccinated, and allow our work to move back our world to move back to the place of normalcy that is desired by all. The WTA, with the full assistance from our medical advisors from the Mayo Clinic, have been and will continue to educate our players on the various vaccines, along with the benefits of being vaccinated. This being said, the WTA will not be requiring players to get a vaccine, as this is a personal decision which we respect. So the WTA isn't requiring them. We will see if other travel restrictions or stipulations from different countries or specific tournaments might make moves to do so but so far the wta said that they will not be requiring that and then we have the atp tour who said atp recommends covid19 vaccination based on scientific evidence supporting the health benefits and protection provided in parallel we remain in support of distribution tiers set forth around the world that prioritize those who need the vaccine vaccine most for protection we are working with consultants in infectious disease and virology to evaluate vaccination strategies and to prepare for when vaccines are made widely available to our player group. In addition, ATP Medical Services team is working alongside other international sports leagues and external consultants to develop best practices that work for tennis as a global sport. Any updates and next steps concerning vaccination options for players and other credentialed individuals will be communicated in due course. So kind of a mirror of what the WTA said, but they haven't clearly said if they will be um, requiring the vaccine for the players. The only last thing I would add about this is something that I was seeing when this first broke on Twitter was people either getting defensive of like, some of their favorite players, if they were some of the ones who made those vaccine skeptic comments. I would just say that, like, tennis players as a whole, professional athletes as a whole, especially these top-level ones, are so privileged and live in a bubble, no pun intended, that, (laughs) Uh you know, ignorance is expected and should be expected. And I honestly was not surprised to see so many vaccine skeptic comments. I think that It should be said that there's a lot of disinformation going around, and a lot of them have clearly fallen culprit to that. On the other hand, as any responsible person should, they should be doing their own research and kind of knowing not to fall culprit to that. But, I mean, you have to be able to learn to hold your favorite players accountable if it's one of those people. Like, you... you, Judging, like... If they're going to say a vaccine skeptic comment or if they're going to come out in support of vaccines, whichever one, if they're your favorite player, that doesn't make that doesn't change anything, you know, really about you being somewhat morally superior or inferior. Like, yeah, I'm a Naomi Osaka fan, but yeah, I like Andre Rublev too. So I like but their comments on vaccines don't like alter my view on vaccines or like my belief on that. So, you know, I'm disappointed in all the players who made those vaccine skeptic comments. I'm appreciative that the other ones are using their platform wisely. But I think you got to know that you have to be able to hold your favorite players accountable. And your favorite players don't define you. So you don't have to keep trying to put them on a pedestal in every single aspect if they don't always deserve to be there. Yeah, completely agree with everything you said. So basically, I have nothing to say on that. We're just on the <laughs> same page like that. Yeah. I was going to say making waves, but that was not relevant whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
now we have some, you know, some tea, some stuff that belongs in the People magazine, you know, tabloid stuff with the players dating, the dating life of the tennis tour. We have Gem's life, Gael, um, Mofi, and Alina Svitolina, who have been, you know, kind of doing their thing. I mean, on February 19th, they both posted on their stories saying the decision was very was incredibly difficult because we still have love for each other but it's just two best friends realizing it's time to take some space and help each other live the most joyous fulfilled lives as possible so that's nice but then that kind of became skeptical when on march 20th gael commented on alina's miami arrival post first my love then replied to his own comment with the side eye suspicious emojis like the two eyes you know yeah the two yeah i know i know like yeah yeah to the side and like uh kyle you just what are you doing and he's stirring the tea um and then yesterday on the official gems account like their relationship Joint couple, account, yeah, yeah. They went crazy on their story posting like 10 or 20 quotes about love and all like we were well what literally is what going is going on? on and and then after Svitolina's quarterfinal win or round of 16 win round of 16, I don't remember, yeah. yeah she posted uh, or he or Gael posted on his story a bunch of like like a picture of her winning and then like an emoji like a heart emoji or something yeah and then the muscle Very, emoji yeah, yeah, very confusing as to what's going on. I know when they broke up, Milos Raonic tweeted something, and he was so sad about it. <laughs> um, so all of us, plus Milos Raonic, I'm sure, are very confused as to what's going on. But we could be seeing Gem's life coming back together. Who knows? Honestly, wouldn't be mad about it. Okay, let's go into tennis talk. We're today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about every player who's still left in the draw, any particular matchups we have coming up, um, both on the ATP and WTA side. Miami has been a pretty exciting tournament, if I do say so myself. Very hot, very humid it seems. I remember in the Yannick Sinner versus Emil Rusevori match, I could only think about how Wasn't it Kachana? Well, yeah, that one too, but I, I thought the Sinner versus Rusevori one was funny because they're both so pale and, you know, red, <laughs> like redheads or like um, have fair hair. So they were they were really feeling the heat. Um, but the Miami heat, but I'm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, let's go into the ATP first. Uh, our first in the top half of the draw, we're approaching the quarterfinals. Um, and our first one is Medvedev versus Roberto Bautista Agut. So let's talk about Daniil Medvedev. Sorry, I have to remember myself to do the correct Russian pronunciation that Josefina has taught me. Oui, oui. And- <laughs> I mean, duh. <laughs> so Medvedev somehow recovered from his cramps in that match versus Alexei Popperin. He was that was a crazy match. If you didn't hear about it, he won the first set in a tie break, and then he was up five two in the second, and he had three match points when it was at five four, um, and he ended up losing that set in a tie break, but then won the third set. So the score ended up being seven six six seven six four, and he literally could not walk in the third set. I mean, this recovery kind of reminds me of, you know, Djokovic's miraculous abdominal tear recovery <laughs> in the Australian. Like, Medvedev was 
he looked like he was gonna drop on the floor. Yeah, I think this was even worse, but I'm sure Taylor, Harry, Fritz, and Alexi Popperin are gonna be thinking about those two losses for a while. Um, but after that, you know, I was a little hesitant to think of, you know, what his physicality would be like after that match, but he had a very solid straight sets win versus Tiafo um, in the round of 16, and Medvedev is was my pick to win the tournament going into this. He's still here. I'm not surprised that he's still here. I'm a little concerned still about his fitness but um we we shall see we'll continue to see how he does because he continues to be a force to be reckoned with on the atp tour so that's why i'm not patting myself on the back too much for him being my title pick my champion pick and him still being in the quarterfinals because this was pretty expected at this point if he wins i think he'll be crawling to the trophy (laughs) And then his quarterfinal opponent would be Roberto Bautista Agut, who is actually the oldest player left in the draw. He took out the defending finalist, John Isner. Let's go! Yes! We're going to be vocal about our opinions on that. (laughs) And it was actually quite a tight match. It was 6-3, 4-6, 7-6. And in that tiebreaker, it was 7-9. So, you know, last set tiebreaks, kind of the stressful There were a lot of those. There were a lot of third set tiebreaks in the past couple of days. We're going to talk about some other results, too, that had that. But that was a particularly tight one. Yeah. And before this match, Isner had won the past 11 tie breaks we think he had played at the miami open and now that isner is out taylor fritz or how we will refer to him now i guess by his full name taylor harry fritz because (laughs) that just it's so funny will become the top ranked american men's singles player unless sebastian corda wins the entire tournament and i am not opposed to that whatsoever yeah josephine is a corda man well, yeah. it originated all when she picked him as her dark horse in, like, August. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sticking with my pick. And um, Roberto Bautista Gu actually leads the head-to-head versus Medvedev 3-1. to one. So this match is going to be definitely an interesting one because, like this head-to-head proves, Roberto has some leverage here. And even though Medvedev has been definitely on fire for the past, like, year... Um, or six months ish since Nito, since Paris, yeah, yeah. since yeah, the Paris since Masters. Paris. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it to Medvedev actually because yeah. he's definitely has some momentum here. Yeah, I feel like he's the favorite going into this. Um, but I also would say that RBA's win versus Isner is very much a confidence boosting win. Isner hadn't lost a tie break at the Miami Open in a while. He's very good in tie breaks. Uh, Batista would also lost that second set and still managed to win the third. So that is definitely a good win going into it, especially since he's playing another big server. But Medvedev plays a lot more differently than John Isner does. Um, so clearly, I think that the head-to-head is in favor of RBA. Um, but I do give the edge to Daniil as well. And the winner of this match is going to play Yannick Sinner who is into the semifinals of a Let's Masters go. 1000 event. He is 19 years old, if you didn't know already. Um, Alexander Bublik, however, thought he was 15. Well, he didn't think he was 15. He joked that he, he was, was 15. He was exaggerating. He's just that yeah. young, guys. 
I gotta say, I love Alexander Bublik. You know, Sinner's win over him was very impressive. I mean, Bublik is not an easy guy to play. He's very unpredictable. He's very fun to watch. Um, great that he got to the quarters of a Masters tournament, too. He's also been having a great year so far. But, yes, yeah, Sinner won that 7-6-6-4. And he also had a very tough match versus Karin Kachinov in the third round, which went 2 hours and 52 minutes. So, this is very impressive from the Italian team. We discussed in our last episode a little bit about Sinner. Um, I know that our, our guest on the last episode, our coach Steven, actually said that Sinner was his personal favorite, I believe, um, to go ahead and win the tournament um, if he had to pick someone who he wanted to root for. His personal favorites are actually doing quite well, I might say. Maria Sacri is also still in the WTA <laughs> draw. So um, if you haven't checked that episode out yet, uh, be sure to do so. That was a fun one. But yeah, Yannick Sinner, very impressive. We're very happy to see him here. And honestly, I'm not surprised to see him here either. In the bottom half, we've got our first quarterfinal match, which is Sebastian Korda versus Andre Rublev. Let's talk a little bit about Rublev first. He took out Marton Fukshevich again. <laughs> this is probably, I think, the fourth time that they've played in the past few weeks, and they've all gone the way of Rublev. Um, and then, you know, this is actually funny, though, because Fukshevich said in their last meeting in Dubai, he was like... I hope I never have to play you again. And now he draws him here. Um, but then Rublev also played Chilich last night, which was a very good win as well um, in straight sets because Chilich has been in surprisingly good form this tournament as well. And Rublev is also Josefina's pick to win the tournament. He's the only ATP player left in the draw to have not yet dropped a set in the tournament. I'm not surprised. Um, so yeah, Josefina, are you feeling confident in your uh, prediction still that he's going to take the title? Definitely. Actually, your um your prediction person, Medvedev, is kind of who I'm thinking could rival him here, but I'm going to stick with my pick, definitely. I think Rublev definitely has the potential here, especially considering he hasn't dropped a set. That's huge. And also considering the fact that he is in good form and does well in tournaments like these. Yeah. Um, you know, he's yet to have his Masters 1000 breakthrough, but I'm really excited to see it here. Um, he will be a very difficult opponent for Sebastian Korda to beat, just considering Rublev's form. We're going to talk about Korda in just a sec, who's been playing amazingly as well. Um, but, you know, Rublev's just on fire, and he has hella number of chains on right now. <laughs> I think he's adding a new one every day. Like, I don't know how he does it. This was a bit of a discourse on Tennis Twitter the other day. Like, some people were talking about how they can barely play with a necklace on. Like, I only wear a necklace. Sometimes I'll wear earrings. But I can't do more jewelry than that. I don't know how Andre does it. I just, I wear bracelets, but, like, that doesn't get in the way. But necklaces, that's, like, swinging around in your face, especially yeah. the longer ones. Yeah. I have to stop speaking different languages. Um, <laughs> and then we have his opponent, Sebastian Corda, who has been on fire in Florida, especially considering the fact that he made the Delray Beach Finals earlier this year. So, you know, Florida is his place. He was brought up there, and he does train there, so it kind of makes sense. Home turf. And he got his first top 20 win versus Fognini in the second round, and then beat Karatsev after that, who has been on fire. Shravi likes him. I'm kind of eh about it. She's still salty that he beat FAA. Yeah, I'm so salty about that. And then Sebastian Gorda got his first top 10 win versus Diego Schwartzman in the round of 16. And the thing about Diego Schwartzman that's kind of sad is that, you know, recently he is in the top 10, which is amazing. We couldn't be happier, but he's 
like everybody's top first top 10 yeah. win. Yeah, the young guys are really taking him out. We had Musetti get his first top 10 win against Diego in Acapulco a couple weeks ago. Now Corda here in Miami. So unfortunately, he's falling. He's 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 getting a beat by the young guns. But it's okay. Diego still has a very special place in our hearts. <laughs> and just the fact that Corda beat like First his top 20, and then his top 10. It's a lot of big stuff happening for him in this tournament. And then, like we said before, he beat Karatsev. He bageled Karatsev and then played a very impressive match versus Diego. Won that 6-3-4-6-7-5. So, just gonna say it. I could not be happier that he's this far into the tournament. I think we mentioned him in the preview episode, which was our last episode. But not for him to get this far. I just mentioned him as kind of a person to look out for here and there. But, you know, I should never undermine my picks and my, what's it called? My dark horses, because this guy is one to beat. Yeah, I would say that there's definitely um, a lot of people uh, who I've seen kind of really impressed by his style of play. Diego Schwartzman said that he, um, that Corda plays a lot like Thomas Burdick, which I think is interesting um, the, in terms of style of play. I would say Josephine and I are the tennis fan generation that isn't quite old enough to have watched enough of Thomas Burdick's matches, but I we definitely, you know, have seen bits and pieces here and there. Um, but very interesting to see kind of how Diego's able to equate Corda to someone from probably like a uh, the previous generation of tennis. I think that's kind of cool to see those, you know, the tennis timelines sort of melting into each other. And speaking of timeline and generations and Cordas, I mean, uh, Sebastian Corda's dad won the Australian Open. So that's another kind of thing that's interesting here because we're seeing this kind of generation of Cordas. Like, who's next? Uh, another Corda in 20 years? Yeah. So our next quarterfinal match, our last one, um, is Hubert Hurkacz versus Stefano Tsitsipas. So Hurkacz, um, another guy who loves Florida, apparently, because he did win that Delray Beach Open title, um, is having some success here, too. So he actually had some pretty solid wins versus two very informed Canadians on his route to the quarterfinal. Um, he beat Denis Shapovalov. Tears dripping, get it, dripping down my face, so we're not going to talk <laughs> drip, about that. Drip, drip. That song is so bad. <laughs> I just like I yeah, that song is that song is something. Um and then he also took out Milos Raonic and the Raonic match went into a third set tiebreak. We were talking about those and Hubie ended up winning 4-6-6-3-7-6 uh 7-4 on the tiebreak. So nice to see him continue to do well. Um, he is from Poland, but he does spend the majority of his time training in Florida, so he's feeling pretty comfortable here. Um, but he's gonna, he has a tough opponent lined up next for us, someone who has been having a very good season and a very uh, pa- good past couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, Stefano Tsitsipas, he just came from the Acapulco Finals, and his best win in this tournament so far was a three-setter versus Kane Shikori in the third round, 6-3, 3-6, 6-1. And actually, I find it interesting. Nishikori has been kind of showing up here and there recently. And maybe he's kind of finding his place again on the tour. I would not be mad about it. I love Nishikori, and I really wish the best for him on tour. And then yeah. going back to Tsitsipas, 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I was watching Tennis Channel the past couple of days, and um, they were talking a lot about how Nishikori is also someone um, who's battled a lot of injuries the past few years, kind of ever since his U.S. Open final run in 2014. So it would be really great to see him finally get a footing back. Um, they were kind of talking about this in the context of Bianca Andrescu, who's already had so many injuries coming back on tour. So someone like Nishikori or Del Potro, these guys who, you know, the tennis world absolutely loves but seem to be really plagued by injuries, we love to see coming back. And Nishikori, this was really good um, that he was able to make some inroads at this event, um, especially against a player who's really playing some top-level tennis like Tsitsipas. Yeah, and I think, actually, I find it kind of interesting that Tsitsipas, he's kind of been going under the radar. Like, I haven't seen many articles about him. Like, he kind of just passed through without anybody really talking about him, making a big deal out of it. So, good for him. And 7-0 Tsitsipas leads his head-to-head versus her catch 6-1, and he just defeated him in Rotterdam in three sets, 7-5 in the third, so it was a close match, and all their matches have gone to a deciding set except one, and their first meeting was at the 2018 next-gen ATP Finals, and it's crazy how time flies to think that both of them were next-gen players. I know, it's especially Hercotch. Like, I didn't realize that he fell into that. You know, there's kind of like the Federer and Adal Djokovic generation, and there's kind of like in between them and next gen is what people kind of colloquially refer to as lost gen, which is like PCB, David Goffin, Marin Cilic, Kane Shikori, Grigor Dimitrov, all these guys. Dominic Thiem? Dominic Thiem, he's like on the border of next gen and that, I would say. But yeah, but like those guys who were really... Gail Monfils, Joe Wilfred Songa, guys who were really part of the top 10 during kind of the peak Federer, Nadal, Djokovic era, um, when it was really just those three guys and Murray era. Um, Wawrinka could be added into Lost Gen too. So I always used to think that like Hercotch was part of Lost Gen, but that's just my mind being crazy. No, he's only like, what, 23, 24? Um... So, yeah, it's crazy that their first meeting was at the 2018 Next Gen ATB Finals. That seems like an eternity ago, um, but it really wasn't that long ago. And also, we were talking about this before, but, like, it's funny how Steph was playing the Next Gen ATP Finals one year, and then the next year he comes to the actual Nito ATP Finals and wins the whole thing. Um, I was like, that Next Gen ATP Finals? Oh, please, that was just my playground. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other thing we wanted to talk about, not only does he have a solid head-to-head versus Hercotch, all their matches have been close, though, but he actually did a very, very cute nod to his girlfriend the other day in perfect Stefanos fashion. I would say it was the perfect blend of quirkiness and cuteness. Um, after his win versus Nishikori, I believe, or maybe it wasn't an no, I think yeah, it was. no, it was, it was, it, yeah, was, it, it was, was, it was, it was, it was because he beat Sonego in the round of sixteen. So after his be- uh, match versus Nishikori, when he was signing the camera, he signed it with the words "God's gift, throw soul," and everyone like, was so confused. Huh? So, like, <laughs> what does that even... mean? Yeah, and then people on Twitter, because again, tennis fans on Twitter really know what's up. Um, some of them spoke Greek, and it turns out that's a literal translation of his girlfriend's name. His girlfriend's name is Theodora Patalas. Um, Theodora means God's gift. Patalas means throw salt. So that's pretty awesome. And I mean, if I ever date someone in the ATP, this is what I'm expecting after they win. 
And like, I mean, I will take no less. They're, we're such fans of the camera signing thing. Like, the fact that they can make it a meaningful experience, like, it's just so cute. I love it so much. Yeah, and I think Steph did another nod to Theodora in his match after uh, Sonego. I think he said it, uh, in, he said something in Spanish, I think. He said, like, Chica Loca or something. Josefina, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> Crazy girl. Aw, that's cute. Okay. See, this is the energy I want if I ever have an ATP boyfriend. One can only dream. Well, we just know that it would be next gen, so I don't know. Let's see who gets burdened with Shravia's. <laughs> burdened? Kidding, I'm kidding. I'm Excuse kidding. me. No, I mean blessed. I mean honored with your presence. Hey, if they don't want to be with me, I'll stand them up and go on a date with you instead, like I did to Lorenzo this weekend. Honestly, podcast host bonds are kind of elite. So, and now we're going to move on to the WTA side, where we have in the top half starting off a semifinal match with Ashley Barty versus Alina Svitolina. So, Ashley Barty, the girl was down match points in her first serve versus... First match. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, She just got so excited about Ash Barty's return that, I mean, it really took her for a loop. It's really, I'm getting choked up about it. Uh-huh. Mm, God. <laughs> the so, cringes. The yeah. cringe is very much real. Yeah. The pun intended. This girl was down match points in her first match versus Kuchova, who is unseated, but somehow won in three sets. And then she went on to beat Victoria Zarenka in the round of 16, 6-1, 1-6, And then Arena Sabalenka in the quarterfinals, 6-4, 6-7, 6-3. Um, unbelievable amazing arena sublanka is the highest ranked opponent barty has played since her return so definitely a good win for her standing her ground as she returns to the tour and she's a defending champion of miami and my pick to win and she's gonna remain in the world number one spot now that naomi osaka is out of the tournament but the fact that that was kind of up in the air until Osaka lost is interesting because that means Osaka is kind of close cutting into the number one territory. I definitely think that, like, if it, this is what everyone's saying, but, like, I definitely think if, like, the ranking stuff was normal, Osaka would totally be number one. I mean, she's won both of the past two, uh, or not past two, two, the, the U.S. Open and the Australian Hardcore. Open. Hardcore. Yeah. Um, but very good for Ash Barty, considering she does have that pressure now that the Miami points will start dropping if she doesn't defend them, and she is the defending champion, so she's seeming to be doing that well, and she's gotten better with every single match. Those wins versus Azarenka and Sabalenka are really telling, because those two players are really informed. That Azarenka match was also really a roller coaster. You can tell by the scoreline, 6-1, 6-6-2, so it really took some mental resetting there. Um, but she's going to face, um, in the semifinal, she's going to face Alina Svitolina. And we had kind of counted her out in our preview because, and we were kind of confident in counting her out because we were like, her form hasn't really been that great this season, but now we're seeing a slight resurgence. Maybe it must be Gael, to, yeah. I was just about to say, maybe Jem's life is, you know, having some sort of uh, impact on that. But no, in all seriousness, all credit to Svitolina. She's beaten solid players on route. She beat Rogers, Alexandrova, and in my opinion, the most uh, command, uh, convincing win or most telling win was versus Kvitova, um, which was two six seven five seven five. So definitely a close match there. Yeah, definitely a close one. 
Um, and she leads the head-to-head versus Ash Barty. This is surprising. 5-1. Um, which you wouldn't, you know, think is the case considering where you would put both of those players' forms at the moment. But Barty did win their last meeting at the 2019 WTA Final 6-4-6-3. I'm personally still putting Barty as the favorite for this match. Um, well, I kind of have to stick to it because... She's she your pick to win pick the tournament. To win the whole tournament. So I'm going to stand by her. I'm going to stand by her for this. Yeah. Week. You know, I talked about this in a previous episode, but like at this point, when we do tournament predictions, mine are never right. Sometimes my person gets to the finals, you know, that happens here and there. But, you know, otherwise, I'm never really correct. So I have my loyalties usually stand by Josephina's tournament picks because those are typically a lot more correct than mine. <laughs> so that's why I'm backing my girl Ash Barty in this one too. Um, and while Ash Barty is still maybe I would say our joint favorite to win the tournament because it's Josephina's pick and we are liking what we're seeing, the other person who we are actually rooting for in terms of who's left is another Greek player in addition to Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah, in the bottom half, we have Maria Sakari, who is also into the semifinals. And she pulled off such a shocking, just like breathtaking, jaw-dropping, unbelievable win upset against Osaka today. 6-0, 6-4. She bageled Naomi Osaka. And Naomi was definitely not in top form. But honestly, either way, Sakari, this win should not be taken away from her because she was g-o-a-t-ing goading um there were too many unforced (laughs) errors from naomi osaka and her serve was just not it today but a lot of fantastic aggressive tennis from sakari and osaka was up a break in the second set but sakari fought back and i mean bagel like that just sticks in your mind yeah, I mean, I, as Josephina said, Naomi was definitely not in her top form today, especially in that first set. If you look at the stats, like, that was really not what you would expect from Naomi Osaka. But part of that was also because Sakurai didn't let her make any inroads, really. Aside from that one break in the second set, Maria Sakurai was all over Naomi's second serve. And, you know, as you know, Osaka was my pick to win the tournament. Not only I had... Maybe it was a biased pick because Naomi's never really done well in Miami. Um, Naomi is probably my favorite WTA player or definitely, you know, up there. Um, So I'm sad to see her go. But honestly, out of anyone in the draw, she was the... Maria Sakari was one of the few people who I would be okay with Naomi losing to because, you know, Josephina and I in previous episodes have talked about how we really do like Sakari's playing style and her attitude and how she is on the court. So very great win there. And actually, ironically, Naomi Osaka, so she was on a 23-match win streak, right? Her last loss was in Fed Cup to Sarah Cerebus Torbo, <laughs> who we're going to talk about in just a sec, Six zero six three. This was a similar scoreline, 6-0-6-4, and I had tweeted right at the beginning of the Sakari Osaka match, it doesn't sit right with me that Sarah Cerebus Tormo is the last person Naomi has lost to. And then once Sakari won, I quote tweeted that, and I was like, you know, it sits okay with me that Maria Sakari is the last person that Naomi Osaka lost to. The fact that you tweeted that before the match, you just jinxed your own pick to I win. Know. Why would you I do d- that? Yeah. We have, some set- hin- we have some history in, like, jinxing players we want to win. I mean, I dared Pablo Carreño Busta to 
um, aced Shapovalov during the U.S. Open one time, and he won the set. So that was my bad. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm definitely sad to see Osaka go, but I'm also very happy to see that Sakari is making this resurgence because we talked about her near the end of last year when she was playing really well kind of in the Western and Southern Open and during that time. At the beginning of this year, she's been okay, right? Um, didn't have a very good Australian Open, but I'm. It, this is a very good result for her, and I hope she, and I think she, can even go even further in this tournament. And, you know, not only that, but she saved six match points in her last match versus Jessica Pagola, and five of those saves were winners, so that's a lot of gutsy tennis from her, and, you know, that that's impressive as well, not only regarding... Um, her win versus the world number two. But, you know, there could be a duo of Greek champions with Sakari and Tsitsipas. We shall see. Um, but, yeah, Josephina, I would say that the hold on to your racket duo is happy to see Maria Sakari through. And the duo Greek champions for Miami would actually be so fitting because I know, like, I think last week Greece celebrated their, like, bicentennial anniversary. That was a huge celebration. Mm-hmm. Monuments all over the world were um, lit up blue and white. So this could definitely be something that could be good for that. Right. Now, the last match we have to talk about is Bianca Andrescu versus Sarah Cerebus Tormo. They're actually playing right now. It is one set all as we speak and two all in the third. So definitely a tight match. They're very different playing styles. I will say about Bianca, she has been super impressive all week long and it looks like she's back. Um, I mean, for the sake of tennis, fingers crossed, because she's a great force on the WTA tour to have. Um, she had great wins versus Anisimova and Muguruza. Um, Anisimova it was very tight, 7-6, 6-7, and she took a medical timeout in this match, so people kind of got scared that she got injured again. But based on her match versus Muguruza, she seemed to be okay. Um, and in Muguruza, she also had to fight back and beat her 3-6, 6-3, 6-2. So very impressive wins there against, you know, Muguruza, who's been playing very top-tier tennis. Oh, Andrescu is now up a break in the third set. So, Josefino, do you think that Bianca has a shot at this title? Well, mm, I think, yeah. I mean, she won the U.S. Open. Like, we can't forget that. Winning the U.S. Open is huge. And she definitely has the skill to win the tournament, but the question is whether she's ready enough like just recently getting back on tour and I think she does have a shot not a very good one in my opinion but she's definitely the type of player who could pick up her level raise her level to take that and then we have anything to say about that no. I mean, I would just say that if she, the winner of this match is going to face Maria Sakkari, and based on Maria Sakkari's form, like, I think that's going to be a tough one. I think a Sakkari-Andrescu match would be very exciting, um, and I think that would be a difficult one for Andrescu because Maria Sakkari is very physically fit. She's Everyone talks about that. Her fitness is, like, top tier, and Bianca has been um, kind of on the injury train, and we don't, you know, and that's sort of, you know, up in the air. Sarah Cerebus Tormo, who she's playing right now, is also someone whose fitness is top tier um, based on the kind of tennis that she plays. So we will see because Bianca, if she wins this match, she's going to have played three tough three setters in a row, right, before her match versus Sakari. So it, we never, and she had that medical timeout and slightly lingering injury from the Anna Samova match. So that's also concerning. 
Yeah, and her opponent, Sarah Cerritos Tormo, you might know her as the Guadalajara champion. She only did that recently, and she is back after that win, kind of standing her ground on the tour. And she also had to save match points in her first round match. She has been on the upset terrain, first with Jennifer Brady, then um, Rubikina, then Ange Jabor, all in three sets. But either way, she finished the job, so it's crazy that she can kind of beat all these amazing players and then kind of disappear into the shadows once again and then emerge whenever she feels like it but definitely quite the skill and quite the interesting one yeah so we will see who comes out as the victor in the andrescu cerebus tormo match uh by the time this episode is released there will definitely be a clear winner there but what i will say is that they're gonna have a very tough going against maria sakari in the semifinals because you know, Sakari has really shown that she she's not she's not she and her hair are not messing around <laughs> in this tournament. Her hair I don't get it. So I if you know me, I have very long hair and I just can't get it to cooperate while playing tennis ever. Maria Sakari's hair does not move an inch and it's a bun. throughout her entire life. I don't understand that. And and she has like thick, longish hair, you know? So it stays in place. She does use hairspray, like, obviously. So it stays in place, but the bun itself doesn't, like, and get looser either. And like, one same spike each time? It's like, perfect. When I wear a bun while playing tennis, it doesn't work. Like, within five minutes, it's, like, bobbing on the back yeah. of my head, no, kind no, of no, falling same. out. Mine gets, mine gets heavy. Like, I start feeling dizzy when I serve and stuff. It's just not, not, it doesn't work for me. But her hair is also so shiny. Like, it's so <laughs> healthy. Yeah. Like, how does she, how does she do, like, I, I would, Maria Sakari, I know everyone, like, loves your tennis and loves your um, fitness regime, but I gotta say, I'm really interested in your hair care routine. It's the because- perfect messy bun like that's what everyone's it's been not, looking but it's, for it's, it's not even messy though yeah it's, it's not perfect even, it's like i don't even know how to explain it <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and that is game set and match for today If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the Miami Open this week and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released soon once the Miami Open wraps up. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.